You know, um, happiness is a really interesting concept and theme. It's very big in our culture. There are happiness centers that have been established all around the world. Uh, there are happiness surveys that go on on a regular basis. There's even now an International Day of Happiness. In fact, the International Day of Happiness last year, Pharrell's song, Happy, that the guys did for you this morning, that was the theme song. Funny that, isn't it? You know, on, on that International Happiness Day, the United Nations General Assembly stated, and, and I quote, the pursuit of happiness is a fundamental human goal. Far be it for me to take exception with the United Nations, but I think there's a problem with that statement. Because the, happiness, the pursuit of happiness may be a fundamental human goal, but the problem is the pursuit of happiness will never bring you happiness. You see, happiness is an outcome, not a goal. And I want to open that up and explain it to you this morning from the Bible and from other, other areas as well. You see, I think that all the time happiness becomes our goal, we never find it. The pursuit of happiness is the problem with happiness. Because if you pursue happiness, you'll never find it. Happiness is an outcome, not a goal. Let me try and explain to you this morning. I want to tell you this morning what makes you happy. You might think, what? That's a bit arrogant, isn't it? I know what makes me happy. No, I actually can tell you what makes you happy, really happy. Nothing. When I say nothing, I mean no thing can actually make you happy. If happiness was just about a thing, wouldn't we have all gone out there and got it? We'd have got that one thing that would make us happy. But happiness is not about a thing. Happiness is not a what. Happiness is always connected to a who. And I want to show you that this morning. You see, I can prove that. But how many of you had a new mobile phone in the last 12 months? And when you got that phone, weren't you happy? Because that was the brand new phone. And Andy Hancock, every single new phone that comes out, I can tell you, if, and Simon, yeah, they're both, you're, both, you're both as bad as one another. I'll bang your heads together if you don't behave yourself. So what, what, I'm joking, we're all staff, okay? If you're a visitor this morning, it's just a joke. We're all staff, we get on, we love each other sometimes. But if your happiness, if your happiness is connected to that new phone, then when you get that brand new phone, in a few months' time, your happiness goes. Why? Because another new phone has come out. Happiness, if it's connected to a thing, will never make you happy. You see, happiness is more about a who than a what. And so many of us in this room have been overseas to other countries. Okay, And often when we come back from those trips and where we've been in maybe in Africa or Asia or South America, we'll come back and I'll tell you that many people will say this. Do you know what? When we went there to that village, when we went there to the community, they have so little, yet they seem so happy. Because happiness is not connected to a thing. In the end of our lives, you and I may have some relational regrets. We won't have any possessional regrets. So at the end of your days, if you're in that hospital room or wherever it is, you won't say to your partner, your husband, your wife, darling, would you please go and fetch me all my shoes out of my wardrobe? I'd just like to spend a little more time with my shoes before I exit this planet. Nobody is going to do that because happiness is not connected to a what or a thing. It's always about a who. And when it comes to God and the subject of happiness, I think there are two extreme views. Now, some of you, like me, were brought up in church. How many of you were brought up in church? Okay, quite a lot of you. If you were brought up in a church like I was brought up, our view was God is not into happiness. He wants you to be holy, not happy. Anyone identify with me? And so if you're happy and you know it, repent. 
Okay, no, no, not clap your hands or shout your feet. Repent, because some of us were brought up with that idea that God is not really into happiness. He's into holiness, and of course he is into holiness, but he's also into happiness as well, but not as we imagine it. The other end of the spectrum is that we think that God wants to make us happy, and that kind of happiness is a disconnected, um, unreal, fantasy kind of happiness. It's like an escapist bubble of fluffiness where nothing real touches us, where we don't deal with real issues, where we pretend real things don't happen, but we're happy. It's kind of where that insult comes from that's often levied at churches like ours, oh, you're happy clappy. Remember some years ago, someone um, accused us of being a happy clappy church, and I said, would you prefer us to be miserable and quiet? That wasn't the best answer, but it's almost like an insult to say happy clappy is kind of light and superficial. I think there's something in God which is destined for us to be happy, but it's not connected to a thing. It's not connected to a what. It's always, always connected to a who. And Jesus taught us what a happy life could look like. And it's contained within what we now know as the Sermon on the Mount. So if you've got a Bible or an iPhone or a tablet or whatever, um, then turn to Matthew chapter 5 with me if you want to. This is what we're going to look at. And this is an incredible part of the Bible. If, you've, you, you will have heard, if you're not a Christian this morning and you're not sure about what I'm talking about, you will have heard, I'm sure, of some of the things that I'm going to say this morning. Some of the phrases are very, very well known in culture and in our history. And in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, these, these collective uh, writings are what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins in verse 1 by it saying that Jesus went up the mountainside with his disciples and with a great crowd of other people. And the Bible says there that when he went up there, he sat down. Now, if you're a teacher this morning, when you want to say something really important to your class or you want to get their attention, you probably will stand up. But in this kind of day and age, Jesus, who was a teacher, a rabbi, when they wanted to say something really important, they sat down. And when they sat down, everybody around knew that this was serious stuff. And the Bible says he opened his mouth. And that phrase that's used, he opened his mouth, literally means in the original language, he opened his heart and he opened his mind as he opened his mouth. So what you get in this bit that we call the Sermon on the Mount is a collection, probably wasn't one sermon like I'm doing for you this morning. It was probably a collection, maybe over time, of a whole host of teachings from Jesus, which was so important that he sat down and he didn't only open his, his mouth, he opened his mind and his heart and he poured out this. And these teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, is what matters most in life and certainly if you want to live a happy life. And he opens with what we call the Beatitudes and he uses the word blessed. And that's why I wanted us to sing that old song this morning, blessed is the name of the Lord, blessed, you know, because, because that word is really important to what we're going to look at this morning. You see, the word blessed or blessed, it does mean happy. But it's not happy that's light or superficial. It has a secret within itself. It's serene. It's untouchable. It's self-contained. The English word that's closest to the word blessed is the word happiness. But the, the English word happiness, the root is hap, which means chance. Okay, it's like fortune. And that's what a lot of people live their life like. Happiness is dependent on happenings. Happiness is dependent on fortune. It's dependent on chance. It's dependent on meeting the right person. It's dependent on still loving the right person. It's dependent on the weather. It's dependent on finance. It's dependent on chance. But happiness in the biblical understanding and what God wants for you and me is not dependent on stuff like that. It's much, much deeper. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk you through every one of the eight Beatitudes. And I promise you, you will get home for lunch. 
Tuesday. Okay, no, no, I'm joking, I'm joking. And what I want to do is I want to I use some material that's not original to me. This is from a guy's teaching that I listened to a few months ago. His name's Andy Stanley. He's the leader of North Point Church in America. Great communicator. And when I listened to the teaching, I thought, that is so good that I can't do any better than that. So I'm going to put a few of my own thoughts in. But most, in fact, all of these points are his points that I want to just pass on to you this morning because they are so good. So the first one is this. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Happy are the poor in spirit. Whenever we hear the word poor, we think about riches. But interestingly enough, the word that's used for poor here is humble and helpless. It describes a man or a woman who puts their whole trust in God, who realizes their utter helplessness and their inability to control their possessions and their stuff. So this isn't just a rich man or a poor man. This is someone, a man or a woman, that doesn't put their trust in their riches. They put their trust in God. See, the happiness myth is that if I had more money, I would be happier. But here's the thing. Rich people can be happy. Poor people can be happy. The issue is not how much you have. The issue is where your trust and dependency lies. Because here's the thing, the moment you transfer your trust to your stuff, you are unhappy. The moment your trust is dependent on how much stuff you've had, you are unhappy because you never have enough. The outcome is all down to you to control and you can't control it. And anyone feeling the burden of it's all up to me is unhappy, whether they're rich or whether they're poor. So here's another definition. Happy is the man, and when I say man this morning, I'm talking about women as well. Happy is the man or woman whose confidence is not in their stuff, but in the one who provides the stuff. Secondly, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And um, the, the word used here for mourn is the strongest word for mourn. It literally refers to mourning for the dead. And you might say, how can you be happy when you're mourning, when you're grieving? And I want to be sensitive here because there are a couple of aspects to this. I think there is a literal aspect in which even in the times of mourning, there there can be a happiness that can come through the morning. Not for the morning, but in that morning experience. There's a proverb from the Eastern culture that says, all sunshine makes only desert. And it says that if life was just always brilliant all the time, all we'd have is desert. But it's the wind and it's the rain and it's the hardness and it's the sorrow of life that sometimes brings us moments of happiness that could not be accessed in any other way. And if you're not a Christian this morning, you will identify that as well as if you are a Christian. You don't have to have a faith in God to know that sometimes even in tough times, good things can come and there can be a happiness even in the midst of that morning. But I think that what Jesus is getting at here is a broader understanding of the whole idea of death. And I want to give you another definition. Happy are those who've embraced the reality of death. That might sound like a depressing thing to talk about on a subject of happiness. But if we do not embrace the reality of death, we will never ever know what happiness is because the fear of death robs you of the joy of living. And you know, when you give your life to God, it should give you a different perspective, not only on life, but also on death. And so Jesus says, happy are those who've embraced the reality of death, because then they can know happiness in life. Number three, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is such a great word, meek. How many of you use meek on a regular basis? Nobody uses the word meek. Imagine if your parents, uh, your daughter saying, I met a man and I really want to marry him. Really, darling? What's he like? Describe him to me. Well, he's really Meek. I mean, it was just, it's weird, isn't it? Because meek feels like weakness and ineffectiveness and uh, um, downtrodden. But actually, it's one of the greatest words in the Greek language. 
Aristotle, the Greek philosopher, defined meekness as a virtue that stands between um, extreme excessive anger and extreme angerlessness. So somewhere meekness sits between extreme anger and extreme angerlessness. It's like this whole idea that there's power, but you've enabled the power to be controlled and used appropriately. It's the person who's always angry at the right time and never angry at the wrong time. Oh, I'd love to be like that, wouldn't you? How New York would love to be like that. That's, that's so far away from where I am. But that's the idea behind meekness. And the other idea behind it is, is they use that word in connection with a wild horse that's been tamed. So, so it's, it's not downtrodden and weak and ineffective. It's a, it's, it's a beast of great power, but, it's, but that beast has been tamed. It, it's, it's a great emotion that has been brought under self-control. It's where you've kind of brought your whole life before God and actually you're angry at the right time for the right reasons and not the wrong time for the wrong reasons. And that self-control is so important. So here's a definition. Happy are those who have a proper estimation of themselves within the broader context of who God is. If we were to live like that, that's happiness. We don't pursue happiness. Happiness is an outcome of a life lived well. Number four, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Happy are those with no regrets, no guilt, and a clear conscience. How many of you um, would say this? I wish I could go back and do the wrong things all over again. Anyone say that? We don't do it. If we have any regrets, it's regrets about the right things we didn't do and the wrong things we did do. Am I right? And so God says really clearly, Jesus says really clearly, happy are the people who are committed to doing the right thing. If you live committed to doing the right thing, the outcome of that will be happiness. It's amazing, isn't it? But if you pursue happiness, you will never find it. But if you commit to doing the right thing and to live in the right way, the outcome, the byproduct is a happy life. Number five, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And again, mercy is a difficult word to understand. It's connected a little bit to grace. It's connected to um, the Old Testament understanding of grace, a Hebrew word called hasid, which is very difficult to understand. But it's almost, mercy is almost like getting under someone else's skin, feeling with their feelings, you know, thinking with their thoughts, so uh, kind of in, involved that, that actually you give to them, even if they don't deserve it. And I want to suggest that happy people, happy are the relationally generous. When you choose not to hold grudges, when you choose to give what people don't deserve, even if there's no apology, you are happy. And you and I know, don't you, how difficult that is when people hurt you or wound you. How many have ever been hurt or wounded? All of us have, haven't we? And uh, when you're hurt and wounded, it is so hard. But you know, if you pursue grudge, if you pursue bitterness, you are never, ever happy. How many happy people have you ever met who are full of bitterness or unforgiveness or grudges? It doesn't exist. But happy are those who are relationally generous. So one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament is the story of Joseph, this young man who his brothers turned on him and they, they threw him in a pit and left him for dead. And he was attacked. They said he was attacked by wild animals and killed. That's what they said to his father. And then he was, they sold him into slavery and he went down to Egypt and he ended up in prison. Finally, eventually, he ended up as the prime minister, the second in charge uh, to Pharaoh in the land. And then one day, many years later, there was a big famine and all of his brothers came down from Canaan to ask, ask for food from Egypt. Uh, and they were face to face with their brother, but they didn't recognize him because he had all the Egyptian makeup on and it was several years later and he was the prime minister, for goodness sake. And they didn't recognize him, but he recognized them. And the Bible says, as he saw them, he wept. 
because of, the, uh, because of the distance that there was between them. But he'd chosen to forgive them. And the Bible says something. He asked for the room to be cleared. See, here's one of the ways you know that you've forgiven someone. You never want anyone else to know what they did to you. You see, the moment that you want, can I just tell you what they've done to me? You haven't forgiven them. But when you clear the room so nobody else knows what they did to you, you know you've really forgiven them. And then when he said to them, come close to me. And so they came close to him. And then he said, it's me. It's Joseph, your brother. And he wept again. And he gave them forgiveness, even though they didn't deserve it. And he extended grace to them. And can I tell you what? He was a happy man. Because he chose to be relationally generous. Number six, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Various meanings of this word pure, unmixed, unadulterated, unalloyed. Like when you get different alloys, different steels together and it, and it kind of blurs up. No, this is, this is purity. And I want to suggest happy are those whose motives are unmixed. When we live pure lives, when our motives are unmixed, purity leads to clarity. Relationally, morally, ethically. But you know, one of our challenges, I know this is my challenge as well, that we live in a culture which has got more of everything. And it encourages us to pursue more of everything. And when we live in fear of missing out, our motives are always mixed. And we never get any clarity and we don't see God. And purity leads to clarity. Because when our motives are unmixed, that's when we begin to see God and his activity in our lives. Just two more. Number seven, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God. This word peace is really interesting. In Hebrew, it's shalom which you've probably heard of before. And it isn't just like peace, as in, I hope there's no war or I hope there's no strife. Shalom doesn't mean the absence of something. Shalom means the presence of something. When there's shalom, when there's peace, there's all the goodness that there's meant to be in that space and in that life. That's what peace really means. And so when Jesus says, listen, happy are the peacemakers, they're going to be called children of God. He's not talking about peacekeepers or peace lovers, but peacemakers. It's an active thing. So here's a definition. Happy are those who try to make this world, the world, a better place to live in. Wouldn't you want to be one of those? Happy are the people, are those who try to make the world a better place to live in. Abraham Lincoln, the president, old president of the uh, um, United States, he said, die when I may, I'd like it to be said of me that I always pulled up a weed and planted a flower. What a great way to live your life, isn't it? Happy are the peacemakers. In other words, don't pursue happiness. You won't find it. But be a peacemaker and the outcome will be you'll live happy. You see, this, the highest form of this is always connected to relationships between people. Helping to establish right relationships. Helping to make the world a better place. Helping to make your classroom a better place at school or college or uni. Helping to make your office a better place, helping to make your family a better place, your community, your life group, your church. When we are active like that, when we pursue peacemaking, the Bible says the outcome, the byproduct of that is we'll live a happier life. I don't know whether you, I don't know, whether you know any troublemakers. Anyone know any troublemakers? Let me ask you a question. Do you know any happy troublemakers? They don't exist, do they? Because troublemakers are troubled by happy people. So what troublemakers do when they see happy people is they create trouble because they are unhappy. 
But when you are a peacemaker and when you try and pull up a weed and plant a flower and you try to make the world a better place, Jesus says the byproduct of that is you will live a happier life. And listen, this morning, if you're not a Christian and you don't get any of this faith in God stuff, this is great wisdom and great stuff for life, whether you believe in God or not. You go into your office tomorrow or your workplace and you try and make, be a peacemaker and make your office a better place and that's going to make you happier in the long run, honestly. And it's going to make a positive difference whether you get the God thing or not. This is just great wisdom that Jesus says. Finally, number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is difficult. How can you be happy if you're persecuted? You know, the early church, when, when you became a Christian in the early church, it was a big deal, okay? It meant a whole change to your family life, to your social life, maybe to your work life. It was a big deal. Often you were ostracized. In a lot of cases, you were physically persecuted and killed. And the sad thing is, 2,000 years later, in some parts of the world, nothing has changed. Because in Iraq and in Syria and in North Korea and in other parts of Asia and other parts of Africa and the world, to be a Christian now, is to bring on persecution. And I don't just mean people calling you names. I don't just mean people saying, oh, you're happy clappy. I mean real persecution. And yet Jesus says, happy, blessed are those who are persecuted. How could he say that? The only thing that I can say, and it's a deep, deep, deep question, which which this is not going to cover it all, is this. You will suffer in life for doing the right thing or the wrong thing. You just will. But Jesus says, you will only be happy if you choose to do the right thing. So if you choose to do the right thing, even though it might bring persecution, you will be happy. Happy are those who choose to do the right thing, whatever the outcome. So happiness, the happy you for this year. Happiness is an outcome, not a goal. Outcome of living the right way. I want to suggest living God's way. Happiness is a who, never a what. No thing, nothing can make you happy. And happiness is an ultimate, rarely an immediate. We very rarely get happiness instantly. The Bible says that when you live the right way, what you do is you sow yourself to happiness. It takes time to be happy. And you know, at the end of the sermon, in Matthew 7, Jesus tells a parable about two men who build a house. And what he does is he sets this as a compare and contrast parable. So they both build a house, one on the sand, the other on the rock. They are both happy for a season in that house. They both face storms. You see, can I just say, if you're not a Christian this morning and you might think, okay, so if I become a Christian, does that mean I won't have any bad things happening in my life? Does that mean my marriage won't break up? Does that mean I won't get sick? Does that mean I won't lose my job? Does that mean, no, okay, it doesn't mean any of that. The reality is that rain falls on you whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. Stuff comes whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. We can't make any difference about that. That just happens to all of us. They both face storms. But here's the thing. They both built a house. They were both happy for a season. They both faced storms, but only one house stood. That's the difference. And what Jesus says is this. Listen, you're all going to choose to build a house. You're all going to choose to build a life. And in that building of a life, you will be happy for a time, but you will face storms. Whether your house stands or falls depends on where and how you built it. And this one, the the house that stood, was the one who built his house on a rock, on a foundation of God and how God would would want him to lead his life. 
And Jesus says, a foolish man is the one who doesn't put into practice what he or, sh- he or she knows to be right. The wise man isn't the one who knows what's right. The wise man is the one who knows what's right and then does it. That is the wise man. That's what makes you happy. One final thing before we ask the band to come back. There is a thing, having said there's nothing, no thing can make you happy. There is one thing that happy people do have. There is one possession, but it's not anything that you can buy or order online. The one thing that happy people all have is peace. You see, when you have peace deep on the inside, peace with yourself, peace with the world, doesn't mean that you don't have trouble, but when you have that deep sense of peace, that is a foundation for real happiness. And you see, you can have that whether you're rich and you can have that whether you're poor. You can have that if you're extrovert. You can have that if you're introvert. You can have that if you're married. You can have that when you're single. It isn't dependent on any of those things. It's dependent on the inside. And there's a great story that Jesus uh, told, one of my favorite stories actually, where he asked the disciples um, to get in a boat with him and to cross over the Sea of Galilee. And he did that often, him and boats, they had a whole thing going on with boats. And he, got, he asked the disciples to go in a boat and he said, we're going to cross over to the other side. And as, as they crossed over, as they were beginning to, to, to row over, the, um, he was asleep in the, in the, in the, in the boat. The disciples were doing their thing. Most of them were fishermen and so they knew the lake really well and they knew boats. They also knew storms. And the Bible recalls that there was a furious squall that came up. It's a really weird word. Basically, in the Sea of Galilee, there are mountains either side. And so the way the winds come through the mountains is such that that they can come through very quickly and they can cause a storm to come up almost instantly. And it kind of sucks everything up. It's so strong. It's almost like a hurricane kind of storm. That's what they ended up in. So Jesus told them, let's go over to the other side. And then as they were crossing over, this storm came up. He was asleep in the boat. And the Bible says that the the disciples got really angry with Jesus. I mean, you would, wouldn't you? I mean, you told us to get in the boat. and, And they were so fearful. They were in fear for their lives, even though they were experienced fishermen. They were really fearful. And they said, you told us to go over and you're asleep while we're drowning. And they said this, don't you care if we drown? Jesus woke up, stood up, and the Bible says this. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly. And they said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And in that book that I recommended last week, The Me That I Want To Be by John Ortberg, he he says this in that book. Peace comes not from finding a lake with no storms, but from having Jesus in the boat. That's genius. Peace comes not from finding a lake with no storms because they don't exist, but from having Jesus in the boat. And I want you to know this morning, folks, I know looking around here that many of you are in storms right now. And it's really hard. And some of you have really struggled to even listen and to think about happiness because of the way your life is going. Your marriage, your kids, your health, your finances, your workplace, your future, your past, you're present and you're finding it really hard to engage with the subject of how can I be happy? How can I be blessed in the middle of this? Can I tell you this? Peace comes from knowing you're not alone. Happy people are people who have a deep peace. And I've met some really amazing people in my life. Really, really amazing people. Some of them are in this church. Some of them are in other places. 
And when I look at some of the things that some of these people have gone through in their life, I've sat in huts. I remember sitting in a hut in India. Oh, my goodness. And um, I didn't say this this morning. And there was a little disabled baby in a bag, alive, but hanging off this thing. And the mother moved the baby so that I could sit down. And, and this hut on the, and when I looked and I thought how they live. And, and yet the peace and the contentment in her life was unbelievable. Didn't have a thing. Didn't have a thing. Just dirt and despair all around. And yet a peace on the inside. And peace comes from knowing that you're not on your own. Our happiness often depends on happenings. But real happiness always depends on Jesus. Because happiness is not a thing. Happiness is not a what. It's always connected to a who. And I'm going to ask the band if they'll come back. And Abby is going to sing a song over you this morning and to you. And it's just an amazing new song that we've just found. Uh, and it really just puts into music and into words what I think God wants to communicate with all of us this morning. And it's this thought that whatever you are going through, you don't go through it alone if you know Jesus. And at the end, I'm going to come back and I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning. I did this at the first service and And it may be this morning that for some of you, you've never ever said yes to him. You've never asked God to come into your boat, if you like, your life. You've never, now now listen, he's he's kind of like a gentleman, you know. He's not going to force his way into your life. Love always has to give free will. If you've never invited him, do you know what? You don't know whether he's there or not. Now he'll be around your life and he'll be involved, but he's only going to fully come in when he's invited. And maybe this morning, you could invite him into your boat, into your life. It will be the beginning of you knowing that you're not on your own. It will be the beginning of peace. It may be the beginning of a road to happiness. But secondly, there'll be many of us here, and you've already done that, but actually right now, you're in a storm. And for you, life just feels chaotic, and you know that Jesus is there somewhere, but it's almost like he's asleep somewhere. You just haven't heard from him for ages. Wake him up. I know the theology is a bit iffy on that one, okay? But just run with me for a bit. It's almost like he's saying, listen, I want you to shake me like those disciples did. I want you to do something and then I'll wake up and I'll speak into your life and the storm will go. Situation might be the same, but the peace that will come to your life will be unbelievable. You are not alone. God, what an incredible truth that we've just sung this morning we're not alone you go before us you will never leave us God it was the very last thing that you said on earth surely I'll be with you to the very end of the age God what a foundation for peace and what a foundation for happiness to know that we're not alone so God I pray that this week we'll enter in to this week and we'll enter into the world in which you've placed us And we'll live this kind of life that you describe in the Beatitudes. God, all the complexity and the depth of that, God, we'll just live some of that out this week. We'll try and bring some peace in a troubled world. We'll try and get a perspective on death so that we can live life. And all of these other things, God, we'll do that because we don't live life alone. But you go with us. And that is so amazing. And so God, help us to go and live life and to... Be that happy you that we want to be because we can, because of who you are and what you're doing in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.